0: Welcome to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications. I'm your host, Jen Alex, and the goal of this show is to uncover communication strategies and behaviors that you can use to improve the way that you show up and perform at work. We'll talk about what effective communication looks like in action so that you can apply it to your own career. If you'd like a written summary of each episode, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting Communications.com. Welcome back, everyone. Today, John and Matt and I are discussing how we can utilize our nonverbal in our communication. First, what those convey, and then second, how you can practice the skills. So John and Matt, as always, thanks for joining me again. Matt, let's start with you. So let's start by discussing exactly what we mean when we say nonverbal skills in communication. Can you walk us through what those are?
1: Yeah, Jen, of course. I think this is the first thing that we really touch upon in our what we like to call our meat and potatoes executive communications class. And this is really what you're looking at in a speaker, but you're not necessarily hearing from them. It doesn't come across directly to your ears verbally, but you may see it portrayed from that speaker. So anything that may be their eye contact at the front of the room, looking around that room, any hand gestures that they're using, anything that they're doing posturally. So if they are pacing, if they're standing still, if they're leaning, anything of that nature, but all of these things combined can come together and elaborate upon a speaker's overall confidence and overall conviction in their message. So we want to look at how these people are utilizing the movement, whether they are pacing nervously, or if there's a reason for that pacing Mm -hmm. all the way down to how they're utilizing those pauses. A lot of that time we talk about these nonverbals and it is a lot of that gesturing and things that we do see. But again, something nonverbal can be where they utilize those silences, where they utilize those pauses. Because again, it's something we're not hearing, but it's adding to one, the structure and two, the overall outline of that message. It's giving us a little bit more emphasis, a little bit more detail. But again, it's not doing it strictly through those words, through that content. Some of those things that, that we look to avoid in terms of those nonverbals, we always say try not to throw those hands in the pockets or throw those hands in the box. Yeah. We like to have that body nice and open for your speakers so that you are personable and you're creating that one-on-one connection with them as well. Like I've touched upon a couple times here already, and I'm sure we'll go over a few times later on as well, that pacing making sure that when we're going through something important, one of those important deadlines, those important pieces of content, we're standing still to deliver them. Something we cover a ton is when we're standing still, the audience is listening to what's coming out of our mouth. But when we're moving, they're paying attention to where we're going, what we're doing in terms of that pacing. And if we're giving them an important piece of information, odds are that's going to be lost if we're doing it while pacing. So All of these things, as well as some others that we'll talk about here along the way, are some great nonverbals to keep in mind, as well as some great tips to keep track of as you go through these presentations.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. So our our big three that we're going to focus on, and again, as you said, we might throw a few more in there, are really the eyes, the hands, and the posture. That's what we're going to call our nonverbals for today's talk. So, John, on that, can you explain why we emphasize these nonverbal skills in presentations and meeting settings and why we think they're so important.
2: Yeah, of course, Jen. I think for a lot of us, we feel as though the message is most important and we know it's not always what you say, it's how you say it. And as it relates to the nonverbal skills, we talk about the Morabian study and Albert Morabian out of UCLA did a study back in the early sixties on how messages get interpreted from audiences. And what he found is this, this is still tried and true today. Is this idea around 55, 38, and seven? And so he says much of what an audience takes in doesn't come from the words or the content itself. That would be 7% of what an audience absorbs or takes away. The other 38% and 55% comes from those nonverbal skills. What they see the speaker doing physically, as you just mentioned, it's the eye contact, the hand gestures, and then body language or posture. And then what they hear, the speaker, in terms of the, the vocal energy, not so much the words or content, but the vocal skills, which would be your volume, inflection, pace, and, and lack of non-words, if you will. But as we think about that, if, it, if, if content is only 7% of what an audience is really taking in or absorbing, that's the power of the non-verbal skill set that does exist. Mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell did a similar study in his book, Blink, and again, observed that a lot of what we take in from a speaker comes from what they're doing physically. Those physical components around eye contact, hand gestures, and body language. And so those pieces of the pie end up having a profound impact on how we would be perceived from audiences, from listeners. I would argue in today's hybrid remote world that is highly virtual just the past three years, the importance of nonverbal skills are even more critical to really set yourself apart. I mean, we had to work through the pandemic where everybody was working from home. Many people, if they were out in public had masks on and so you couldn't really see or, or hear the words as well because it was uh, mumbled through the mask. And mm-hmm. so a lot of us have had to learn now about the importance of nonverbal skills. What does body language look like? Does it look open or does it look closed? Yep. With, with building of trust in a speaker's presence, a lot of that comes through the eye contact. We think about how a speaker comes across confident and or engaging. The front door to confidence and engagement, at least in our Western world, is through the eye contact. And speakers that don't look at decision makers or audience members may not be perceived as coming across confident or engaging.
0: Yeah. And I really actually like that study you brought up from the book Blink. I think this is a really neat one, too, because the research that he studies is from silent video clips. So the words don't even play a part the study groups, if you will, are making these decisions based solely off of what they see. And that's what makes it so impactful is that they come to very similar conclusions, those groups that are just looking at the visuals or the body language that a group that sat with, and this happened to be a professor, sat in that professor's class for the entire semester had a very similar outcome. So it's really interesting to see through the lens of that study, how much body language and nonverbal skills impact what an audience or a listener takes away or what they think about you solely from that aspect.
2: Sure. And And we talk about it through the lens of first impression. Yeah, And you think about in our our social lives, right through the, the dating lens, but then in our professional lives, we get in front of an audience that audience is taking anywhere from 30 seconds to 90 seconds to make a conclusion or come to a decision based on what they're seeing and, and hearing vocally from a speaker. And I, I asked the audiences that I work with in our executive communication skills course, think about your content, whether you're providing a meeting, giving an update, giving a recommendation, giving some type of presentation. In a 30 to 90 second window at the beginning of a talk, mm-hmm. how much real content have you had a chance to go through? Yep. Probably not much. There isn't really any depth to that time frame. And so what we start to understand there is audiences are making this blink if you will this first impression based on very little content. Yep. And we joke because it's we've we've learned from a very young age don't judge a book by its cover but we are in 2023 and guess what our society loves to do? Judge yeah. books by their covers. Right? And as soon as we can begin to understand that and and take advantage of it right i know that it's it's not always the case but it is very important that we understand why and how the importance of our nonverbals play a role in that first impression or how we end up being perceived from whoever it is that we're interacting with exactly
1: and i think that big piece that you touched on john there was that first impression and and we read a pd book i must have been 4 or 5 months ago about that power of that first impression and how yeah. Especially in that business sense, if you don't make a good first impression that first time, how many impressions, exactly, I think it was seven or eight, it takes on that back end to get them back in your boat. And we know in that business sense, if we don't get them in our boat in that first interaction, they're most likely not going to come back six or seven more times to listen. So for us, it's just as important to focus on those nonverbal skills and the other executive presence skills we talk about there as it is to focus on that actual content. Because at the end of the day, that first 30 to 60 to 90 seconds is that hook. And it's really just you selling yourself to them and not necessarily that message.
0: Yep, absolutely. Now, Matt, you and John both touched on or talked about the importance of gesturing, thoughtful movement as indicators of confidence in addition to that eye contact. But do those two things, the gestures and the movement, do they or can they flex depending on the setting that you're in or the, the audience you might be working with?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think the first thing to think about is we've gone from such an in-person centric environment back to a virtual centric environment, and now we're all rotating back to in-person. So what we do in-person in the front of that conference room versus what we've been doing the past two to three years sitting on the other side of a Zoom call as we do so often is going to be very different. What becomes distracting to that audience is going to be slightly different depending on if you're in that small camera frame or if you have that entire stage to work with. What I mean there is first with those hand gestures, if I'm standing in person, odds are I'm going to be able to gesture up above my waist, outside my body, all the way over to whatever my content is and get that audience involved. If I'm sitting behind my computer screen virtually, or I'm in my office or in a cubicle on one of those virtual meetings, I know one, there's either people around me Hmm. or two, those gestures outside my body and up, up in the air are either distracting or they can't be seen on that camera frame. Right. So one, we have to adjust for what can be seen. And two, we have to adjust for what's actually going to be taken into account and understood as a further piece of our message. Some of these gestures, some of this movement are going to elaborate on exactly what we're saying, whereas some of these gestures in the virtual environment aren't going to be taken into consideration as much, and they're going to more bog down our message than add to it.
0: Yeah, and I actually, as you're going through this, so our listeners, we don't have the the visual piece for our podcast, but as I'm watching you talk about this, I see you using those gestures, obviously we're seated, we're on zoom we're behind cameras. And so as I watch you, your gestures are coming up and I'll call it the bottom, maybe third of your webcam screen. And that's where, if you think about sitting across from somebody having a cup of coffee or a one-on-one meeting, if we're seated, most of us will still use our hands as we speak, but they're, they're smaller gestures. They're inside your body, north of the table, south of your chin, somewhere in that space, you're still expressive with the hands, and it adds to your message. But to your point, if you get too outside of your webcam, your audience can't see your hands anyways. So at that point, they almost become a distraction or something that detracts from the message and what you're saying. So I think just interesting, while I watched you walk through it, you're mimicking the exact changes. I know you in person, obviously, and we've had plenty of in-person situations together where I know your gestures are much larger when you're on your feet standing and there isn't anybody else up there with you.
2: And I think to, to piggyback on the gestures one of the big questions that I get personally in programs is, John, I've got these two things hanging off my arms. I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And and people laugh at the the scene from Talladega Nights with Ricky Bobby and Will Ferrell's character,
0: right. his hands
2: keep coming up in front of his face. And he says, jokingly with the person interviewing him, I'm not really sure what to do with my hands. And the interviewer <laughs> says, you can just leave them down at your sides and chuckles along with it. But gestures can be harmful or they can be helpful. And I, it, based on as we look through different cultures, but even in our world, some people are can be offended by closed gestures. Closed gestures means a closed fist, which might all of a sudden look a bit more aggressive or condescending in some areas, a finger point versus mm-hmm. an open hand or an open palm. So you start to think about the types of gestures that get used because people will say, okay, John, I think I use my hands, but I'm not exactly sure how to use my hands. And it's not about overthinking the gestures, because if we overthink them, then all of a sudden they start to look forced and robotic and they're no longer genuine. They're not really authentic. Right. But using the hands and the body language is how all of us were, were created to communicate, because before real language existed, the language that stood out in the world was the body language and how people use their hands or use their posture or use their arms to instead of crossing the arms in front of them which made them look more closed off more defensive perhaps again more aggressive it was keeping an open core and keeping your organs open to a a potential predator we know in today's world the likelihood of us getting attacked in our monday morning meeting physically by our audience Mm -hmm. is incredibly low but people hear that or they think that and they say well i want to make sure i'm protecting myself yeah. And we use the analogy, if you take your dog for a walk early in the morning, it's still dark or late at night and it's getting dark. You're constantly scanning your surroundings, making sure you are protected. The same reason that when we're walking to our car that's parked in a dark parking garage, again, later at night after work finishes, we are scanning our surroundings and we're making sure things inside of our body are tight to make sure we are protected. But we advise when you are communicating with an audience, open yourself up helps you come across more approachable, more confident, more engaging. All those things are are positive ways to be described. And we're all striving for those positive ways.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that's another thing that we're talking about there as well, with all of that body movement that you're talking about there in terms of that swap from the virtual to the in-person, mainly as you're talking about that flex. But When we're walking around the room, something that we talk about often is our three positions. So how Mm -hmm. we actually present that information. That's a huge nonverbal cue for us. We're controlling that attention around the room where we want that audience to be looking, whether it's on us, on the slides, a combination of the two. And we can utilize that. Whereas in the virtual setting, we're not necessarily able to move our body in reference to that content. So the overall engagement factor of what we're doing in these two settings are going to be slightly different. But the main theme is we want to be our authentic selves nonetheless, whether that is with those gestures, as you're saying, John, getting outside the body and being open, or Jen, like you said, you see me talking across the camera here on Zoom, and it's very similar to in person, not quite the same, but the same mechanics. That's essentially what we're looking for. When you come out of this presenting environment and you go into that one-on-one, or you come out of this virtual environment and you end up in that in-person environment, you want to be that same person with those same nonverbal and verbal skills as you are at the front of the room. Right. So what we say is as authentic as you can be in any of those situations, feel free to flex it, but don't lose any of that awesome authenticity.
0: Yeah. Love that. And John, you mentioned just a minute ago, a small piece about different cultures. So I want to touch on that a little bit because you've traveled and coached in a number of different countries. Have you noticed that the nonverbal skills change from place to place or are there any major differences when it comes to those skills as you've traveled around the world some and worked with clients in different cultures?
2: Yeah, I would say, yes, they've changed from place to place. I think they more move on a sliding scale, Jen. And so to describe that, I I wouldn't say that there's right ways and wrong ways as we cross cultures. There's more effective ways to use your nonverbals and perhaps less effective ways to use the nonverbals. But generally speaking, our universal framework around eye contact, hand gestures, and then posture or body language will work across all cultures. Mm -hmm. As you look and interact with different areas of the world, different types of audiences from different places, that's where you've got to look into, how do I want to be perceived based on this environment, based on the message I've got, based on the audience I might be interacting with? Here's where I encourage, this is where as as business professionals, we want to lean on HR business partners. Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, as you go in and have to give a talk to a different audience that's outside of your Western world, let's just use, we're an American-based company, but we've got manufacturing facilities all over the world. And I've got to go and give an update to a manufacturing facility in Ireland, or one in Mexico, or one in Germany. I would reach out to the HR business partner team ahead of time and ask them very politely, what things do I need to know, culturally speaking, to be effective in front of this audience? And they'll likely know those things because that's part of their role, but they'll be able to give you some of the dynamics that work well in terms of eye contact, hand gestures, body language, and things that might be looked at differently from our world. But the beauty of the skills is they really do work across all areas. Generally speaking, it's, again, looking through that lens of more effective versus less effective. And I think to better understand this, we know that what we say the the content is important of course that's not going to be ignored right but that's that's one piece of it the back channel communication ends up being those nonverbals and that's the way it's delivered the tone that might get used facial affect whether i'm smiling again body language do i look more closed off to an audience or am i approachable do i look open I would say, and I've, I've done coaching enough times in various places where I've had people say, John, I don't communicate across cultures all that often, but yeah. my role might have me doing so. Do you have any tips? I, I think three general tips that we could all apply. One, be pleasant, be friendly. Mm-hmm. I have not seen any culture that doesn't like a pleasant or friendly demeanor to begin right. with. <laughs> so a smile goes a long way. Making eye contact goes a long way. It's not staring. It's not creepy. It's not aggressive. It's not invasive but looking at people when you speak is important. Yep. Second, be interested. You are going to a new culture. So be open and try to spend more time listening than you do speaking. Yeah. Because a lot of cultures in a lot of different places will have a lot to share. They want to share it to us, but it's a problem if we don't give them an opportunity to share what their differences might be. And the best way for us to do that is to become effective listeners. Love that one. And then three is try to learn something about the culture you're going out to. And this can be in the world of Google today, an easy thing that we can research, but figure out how to say good morning in a different language, Mm -hmm. figure out how please and thank you work across different cultures. Those go a long way in helping aid positive interactions, regardless of where you travel or where you go. But then a lot of people are going to be more willing to help you out or perhaps walk you through this new culture from a communication standpoint and be able to guide that process effectively so that you leave and people say, hey, John was very pleasant. I have not interacted with him before. I know he came over from a different area of the business, a different area of the world, but incredibly easy to get along with. And that's a positive thing.
0: Yeah. And I actually have a small anecdote on that. I had a client that was a US-based client. They had a group down uh, a big site down in Mexico. So I went down there for a whole week and ran two back-to-back programs for them. I had somebody that was driving me to and from because the client said that the logistics of driving and traveling here are a little bit different than the States. And so the partner, the internal partner who was driving me was solely Spanish speaking. He had very few English words. I, at the time, had very few Spanish speaking words. And so it was probably about a 25 minute commute in every day. And then the same thing on the way home. And that first morning, I can remember sitting there saying, feeling so uncomfortable because I couldn't communicate with him. I couldn't even something as simple Now, from my high school Spanish. I remember my good mornings, but that was about as far as it went outside of asking where the bathroom was. And that doesn't apply when you're on a commute into the office. So I had very little to say, Thankfully, John, our sister, is fluent in Spanish and was majoring in it at the time. So I got home that night. I got on a call with her and I said, tell me everything I need to know. Is there a Google Translate that I can use? And I tried to learn a couple at least standard sentences that I could communicate with just so that this 25-minute commute twice a day for four days wasn't so awkward. And it really helped. He may have done the same thing because we were able to communicate back and forth, choppy, but at least enough. And that just helps create those relationships. It helps show, as you said, the interest. I wanted to interact with him, hear more about what he had to say, or at least be friendly and open enough. But it's really important to be able to do that. Now, as presenters or executives or just people in general, how can our listeners at home work on improving these nonverbal skills? For both of you, do you have any tips or suggestions? Matt, we'll start with you.
1: Yeah, my first one is the gestures. I think gestures are something that a lot of us, the biggest issue becomes getting them in that box, as we talked about, wanting to bring them together and locking them together. And mainly we find that it's because we have our phones in our hands all day and that is bringing them to the center, throwing our hands right there. What I say is when I am in the grocery store or if I am at the bar with my friends or just sitting around at a family barbecue, family function, anything of the nature, I throw that phone in my pocket and I drop my hands right down to my sides. What that makes is that now when I get more comfortable in that conversation, my hands are gesturing a lot more. I'm creating a lot more of that physical affect that is nonverbal with those hand gestures while not allowing them to lock back together. So it's more of just kind of training those hands and body to get more comfortable. What I tell everybody in all of our classes is when we start teaching those hand gestures, you think about them. Mm -hmm. When you start talking in your normal everyday life, you don't think about them at all. And 90% of the time when you get comfortable, they're going to get working. So all you have to do is make sure they're not working together. Yeah. That's my first piece. My second piece overall would just simply be be authentic and practice in front of somebody. If you can practice in front of somebody and you can do that authentically, now they're going to, especially if it's somebody you know, a significant other, a kid, anything of that nature, they're going to know that something you're doing, whether it's a hand gesture, a movement, or whether it is one of those verbal pieces should be changed. Yeah, Having one of those outside sources to give you those comments and overall give you that constructive criticism, is a big thing in that presentation setting. And if you're not looking for a more formal coach, just somebody to sit, watch, and tweak is always a great resource.
0: Yeah. It's actually funny. I'll be talking to Nick, my husband, sometimes, and he might say something or I might say something to him like, why did you just do that? That was weird. That's not something I'd see you do all the time. And it might be either something new that one of us is trying out, or again, like you said, it just brings awareness to, that was uncomfortable for me too. And knowing that it was weird for you to see allows me to make that connection and say, I either need to smooth that out or maybe that's just not me. That's not something that I do. I saw somebody else use it. It looked very comfortable and fluid for them, but I'm not them. So personality-wise, that just doesn't fit with whatever I just tried to do. And that's how we learn. And that's how we get more comfortable. And as you said, we keep that authenticity on what is us? Because while, yes, we coach all of the skills the same way to everybody we work with, John looks different than you when you present. You look different than me when I present. I look different from both of you. So the skill set and the process is the same. But because we're all individuals, our uniquenesses bring different aspects to these nonverbal, verbal skills. John, how about you?
2: Two pieces, Jen. I like what Matt said already, so I'll piggyback off of that, and it's practice. Get as much practice as you can, but these skills really get developed through repetition. To, to start that, you've got to be mindful of them. And so again, we go back to what does eye contact look like, hand gestures, body language, the tone of the voice, all of those things would be considered nonverbals that are not specific to the exact content coming out of our mouth. We need to understand the why before the what. And the why would be, why am I using the eye contact I'm using? So if we know why it's important to make eye contact with decision makers, then that's something we can go with and use going forward. But as Matt said, do it in social situations. Those are low stress, low pressure environments where you will feel as a business professional that you don't have to necessarily be at your best and then it's going to translate across into those professional settings when you have those exposure opportunities with senior leadership or the c-suite you're already doing these things authentically in your personal or social life it's just switching lanes it's moving into that professional setting and say okay these skills still all matter my eye contact is important my tone of voice can signal the emotion i have behind certain information the the posture and body language we've already touched on but it's easy to use these skills outside of the workplace. We just have to understand the why and then figure out, okay, what does, what does the application look like from there?
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome point. It's a lot about muscle memory. You want to get your muscle memory comfortable doing something. It's take an athlete. A lot of them will practice by going to a park and playing a pickup game. They get to practice and do that in. It's not the real game. It doesn't matter. It's for fun. But that's how they continue to fine tune and hone these skills. The same thing can be true for us. You're out with friends. You have a family gathering. You go to a concert or a networking event. These are all places where there's not a ton of pressure, but it allows you to practice these things, try them out, be aware of them. The more you get that muscle memory comfortable doing something differently in low stress situations, the easier it is to apply it when the stress adds on. So we talked about a lot of good things. To summarize, nonverbals help both complement our message and accent what it is we're saying, as well as make us stand out to the people in our audience. So if you each had one final thought for our listeners around these nonverbal skills, what would they be? And Matt, we'll go back to you first again.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm just going to reiterate again something we've all said plenty of times throughout this entire talk, and that's be authentic. Whatever it is, whoever you're talking to, whatever that content may be, be yourself because who you are up on that stage and who you are in that one-on-one environment a little bit more personably should realistically be that same person. So overall, bring that authenticity to the table and your audience is going to thank you for that.
0: Yeah. Love that. John?
2: Yeah. Mine's a quote that I use in every program that we coach, especially executive communication skills. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so important to remember and mind, I like to use the phrasing, mind your nonverbals. Yeah. Nonverbal communication skills, incredibly impactful, but if we don't know them or we don't understand them, tough to, tough to manage a message in an audience well.
0: Awesome. So our main takeaways from our episode today, your nonverbal skills are important and they do matter. They impact how your listeners digest your message and we need to be aware of what we're saying by using them. Second, They aren't a one-size-fits-all. So every person in every situation will call for slightly different things. You want them to come across as genuine for you. And for some people, that might be more gestures, more purposeful movement. For other people, that might be less. And that's okay based on the personality, the setup, the audience you're speaking to, and the purpose of that talk. Third big takeaway is know your audience. So if you are traveling outside of your own country or your own culture, the best thing to do is to ask As John mentioned, an HR business partner, what are some of these cultural norms that might be helpful for me to be aware of so it doesn't throw me off or it doesn't make my audience uncomfortable? And then lastly, practice. We say this in almost every single episode, no matter what it is we're talking about. When it comes to communication and when it comes to the skill set, you are best set when you can practice that information, practice those skills as often as you can beforehand. We all think the video recording aspect is a huge benefit to you as a speaker. Throw your camera on for a couple of minutes, record yourself, and then review it back. You get that live feedback and that opportunity to look, I'm sorry, see and hear yourself as your audience does. So you can look at, here's what I want to change, or here's what I want to do differently. As always, thanks again for listening and tuning in for another month. Again, if there are any other topics you would like to hear about, please shoot us an email and we'd love to get that on a future episode. Thanks for listening to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications. Again, I am your host, Jen Alex. Vautier Communications is in the business of business communication skills. We coach and train both individuals and groups on how to elevate their presence and increase their impact through the way they communicate present and write if you want to learn more about our in-person or virtual training options visit our website at www.vauteercommunications.com thanks for listening